I am glad you're joining us this morning. Uh, we are in part two of a series that we started a couple weeks ago called You Are Here. And here's what we're trying to do in this series. We're trying to figure out how people grow spiritually. Uh, some of you are kind of new to this thing, and that's awesome. You're new to Christianity. You're new to church. Maybe uh, you're still trying to decide where you land on this thing. You're pretty sure there's a God, uh, but you're still trying to figure out what to do with some other stuff, like who is Jesus, and, and is he really the only way to God? Is he the Son of God? You've got a lot of questions. That's cool. Maybe you've been here for a while. Maybe you've been coming here for a while. You've been asking the same questions for a while, and it's been long enough now that you actually feel like you're kind of stuck, and you don't know what it's going to take for you to actually act on your faith and move forward. In fact, some of you may be at a place where you would love to have faith. You just don't know how. You, you don't know how to act on it. Um, and maybe you've uh, wanted to have faith for a long time, but for some reason you can't just seem to get there, and you don't, uh, you don't know why that you can't get there, and hopefully uh, this series can address that. For some of us, we consider ourselves Christians, we identify as Christ followers, but if we're honest, some of us, maybe we expected a lot more from this experience. We thought we were going to be closer to God by now. We thought it would, you know, it would always be like it is around the campfire at summer camp. We thought it would always be like after that concert with our favorite Christian band. And for that matter, we kind of expected like to life to just kind of roll out with the with the same passion and focus and hopefulness and warm fuzzies that we experience here on Sunday. You know, when we gather together, we really thought that we would feel differently all the time than we tend to feel some of the time. And we thought family and kids and marriage and work and career and finances and purpose and meaning and satisfaction and all that would just kind of all magically come together. Maybe you've been stuck in a rut for a long time. And it's not that you're not going to church enough because you're here like all the time. You've got a park, you got a space in the parking lot, you've got a seat in this room, you are just here all the time. It's not that you're so it's not that you're not going to church enough. It's not that you're not serving enough. It's because you you answer every call to serve. It's not that you're not reading your Bible enough. It's just that for some reason you feel like you're stuck. For some reason you can't get rolling again and you've lost the momentum and you can't figure it out. I mean, you're doing the things that you think Christians are supposed to do, the things that churches teach that Christians are supposed to do, and you're doing the things that you're supposed to be doing, or perhaps equally as important, you're not doing the things that, you know, you're not supposed to be doing, but for some reason, God seems distant. And life isn't really playing out the way you imagined it would, especially if you're a Christian and all. And you just don't know how to get from where you are to where you want to be. And you just can't get moving because you feel stuck. The good news of this series, and this is our big idea for these few weeks. We launched this series a couple weeks ago, and uh, if you missed it, I would really encourage you to pick up the CD from uh, July 23rd from part one. It should be on the table there in the lobby, or download it from our website or listen to the podcast. Our big idea is simply this, that where you are today doesn't need to be where you are tomorrow. That's our big idea. And that's good news. And you probably already figured that out. I mean, we're, we're hopeful people. But sometimes you get stuck. And sometimes you get stuck and you don't know why you're stuck. And isn't that frustrating? Sometimes, oh, sometimes it's very clear why we're stuck. Because you know it. Your friends know it. Your church friends definitely know it. You know, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. It's those times when you being stuck has something to do with the choices you've made. All right? Sometimes... Uh, 
it's very clear. But then sometimes you're stuck spiritually and there doesn't seem to be any reason for it. It just doesn't make sense. It seems like a mystery to you. And because you don't know why you're there, you don't know how to take the next steps to move on from there. So that's the idea behind this series, that to get where you want to go, to get where you think God might be calling you and leading you, where you need to be, it requires that you know where you are. So you need to understand where you are, because to get where you want to go, you need to know where you are. And it's very much like being lost, especially, uh, or maybe being in a place like a, like a major city uh, for the first time and trying to get your bearings, and, and you, know where you, you, you know where you need to be, but that's not really helpful because it, it isn't clear to you where you are. And this point is harder to illustrate and identify with than it was even 10 or 15 years ago, because 10 or 15, 15 20 years ago for sure, even if you had a map in your hand, how many of you remember maps? They were made out of paper. And uh, even if you had a map in your hand, you needed to have some sense of where you were to start with in order for the map to be of any use. Even 10 years ago, if you wanted to use a GPS to help you navigate and help solve the problem of where am I, you had to go out and buy a GPS. You had to intentionally you know, drop a couple hundred bucks into this unit that would stick on a suction cup on the, the, on the windshield of your car. And a few of you did that because you are world travelers. But you, you, now you don't even need to do that because it comes like pre-installed on your smartphone. And some of you are checking right now, like, is this true? <laughs> so <laughs> I thought it was just for solitaire. So when it, when it comes to knowing where you are, even when you're visiting a place for the first time, it's hard to identify with that sensation of not knowing where we are because at any given time, we just pull our phone out. It's in our hand anyway. And we're like, oh, that's where I am. So a couple weeks ago, I used the example of a subway system. And we said that the thing um, about subways, and I don't know about you, but I, I, I love subway travel when I'm on vacation. I don't have to use it every day to commute, and that's, I think, why I like it on vacation. I know it would get old. I don't know if you saw, there was a viral video that hit Twitter this week of, um, of rush hours, time-lapse video of rush hour in the Tokyo subway. I don't know if you saw it. It was just an ocean. I was going to show it to you, and I couldn't figure out a way to steal it from that Twitter feed. But it was just this ocean of people just went on and on and on. It was about a minute and a half, and it was time-lapse. And it was just like... If, if somebody falls here, they're going to get trampled. Um, anyway, subways. The thing with subways is the moment that you go underground, especially if you're you know, changing trains anywhere along the way, uh, when you, by the time you get off the train and you ride the escalator to the street level, you're usually completely turned around when you've, it's the first time you've done that. Um, if it's during the day, it's a little easier to get oriented if you understand that the sun is in the sky and can help you. Um, and if it's dark, then it's just you're completely, it's disorienting. In times like that, you want to be able to go to the big map and find the little dot that says, you are here. Question. How many of you were married before you had a GPS? I'm just curious. Okay. You endured a lot of suffering that couples today don't have to suffer through. I'm just telling you. You know. You know. You're like, yeah, talk to our therapist about that. Did you know that family vacations have 76 less conflict as a result of Google Maps on smartphones compared to when people actually use maps? 76% less stress. Did you write, did you write that down? Because I just made that up. <laughs> because uh, actually 68% of all statistics are made up on the spot. So just keep that in mind. <laughs> Do you... 
I know, right? Took a minute. You good, Garth? Should we keep going now? Do any of you, any of you remember triptychs? Any of you know what a triptych is? Some of you, some of you know the AAA triptychs. Yeah. First of all, it's a service that AAA provides. Did you know that you can still get these? I had no idea. Um, you, you just let them know where you're leaving from and where you're going and maybe any stops you want to make in, along the way. And in a few days, they have put together this little package, this little customized booklet that kind of has your whole, it's a book of maps with your whole itinerary broken down into little sections. Um, did, have any of you ever used them? Yeah. I won't ask how many of you used them this year because that I don't want to know. But... Um, <laughs> So yeah, there's that. Um, if you want to, if you want to use this neat little service, perhaps uh, I've got an idea. Maybe Saturday we could go yard sailing and find some eight-track tapes for your road trip. Uh, so, um, <laughs> was that offensive? I don't. you don't. I, you don't care. I don't. I don't care if you don't care. Alethea and I did a few uh, road trips when we were early in our marriage. We, she had family in Pennsylvania. We drove to Pennsylvania a few times early in our marriage to meet up there with family and grandparents and all that. We took groups of teens to trips out of state. To, uh, we drove to the Annapolis Valley of Nova Scotia, where I grew up several times in the first four or five years of our marriage. And we always packed the latest edition of the Rand McNally Road Atlas. Remember those? Ever seen one of those like in a museum or anything? And you would get to the... Here's the deal with those. You get to the state line on, on that... that that map that opens up. And, and, you know, we were traveling east to west, and so you get to the state line on the left side of the page, and since all the pages were listed, uh, the states were listed alphabetically, so you leave Connecticut, and now you have, to, you have to flip several pages to get to New York State. And where you left the page on the left side, now you're entering the page on the right side. And it's, uh, it's seriously uh, disorienting, and uh, navigating with maps led to all kinds of tension on road trips for the typical American family. The whole thing boils down to this. Um, again, I've gone to great lengths to illustrate my point. You will never get where you want to be if you don't know where you are. And a couple of weeks ago in part one, we read through this parable that Jesus told. And in fact, we read through the whole thing and then to kind of get an overview. And then we went back and we read parts of it again to kind of get the application for that morning. And we said that this is a, this is a really perplexing parable. It's, it's been confusing to me for a long, long time. In fact, I've never taught on it till now. Because it raises as many questions for me as it answers. And it's actually quite well known, even if we're all over the place with our interpretation and application of the parable. Um, But even if you've never read the Bible or never made it through the whole Gospel of Matthew, uh, chances are you've probably heard of this parable. It's known as the parable of the sower. This is part two. We're going to spend a couple more Sundays talking about this parable uh, because there's a lot to unpack here. In this parable, Jesus talks about three different soil conditions. One of the types of soil that he talks about is a hard path or rocky soil, and that's what we're going to talk about today. There were areas in Palestine where the soil was actually a lot like some places around here, especially like on the island, where the soil was decent on the surface, but it just wasn't very deep, and under that shallow layer of soil, of good soil, was a lot of rock. And you just can't produce great crops when there's a lot of rock just below the surface. And that was a common um, kind of condition and occurrence in certain parts of Palestine. And Jesus said that some of the seed that the farmer was planting fell on the hard path, on the rocky soil, which he explains later basically means hard-hearted. So that's the part of the parable we're going to focus on today. But just so you kind of know where we're going, I think I have all three of these up. If you want to show them, that's fine, Josh. The second soil condition uh, he talked about is basically aggressive weeds. 
he said that some of the seed falls on decent soil, but the weeds come up and choke out the crop. And we'll get into that in a couple of weeks. And Jesus' explanation of the parable, which he doesn't always offer explanations to his parable, but thankfully in this one he did, he says that the weeds represent the lure of wealth and worry. And some of you are worriers. Some of you are married to a worrier. And we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks' time. How you, and how that can leave you spiritually stuck. And how worry can choke out our growth. The third condition Jesus describes is really the ideal condition, which is simply good soil. Um, and good soil represents uh, living a surrendered life. And so in the final week of the series, we're going to talk about, okay, if I want, really want my faith to grow, if I want to be a follower of Jesus and I want, to be, I want to grow as a Christian, what does it look like to live a surrendered life? And we'll talk about that. So in this parable, uh, Jesus has these three soil conditions, which basically parallel three life conditions. And most of us, just understand, most of us are a mixture of all three. It might depend on what it is we're talking about specifically. It may depend on the area of our lives that we're talking about. Maybe there was a season of your life where, where maybe you were more hard-hearted, or maybe you used to have a really open heart, but your heart has grown hard over time. Or maybe you used to worry, but now you don't worry anymore, or you don't worry as much. Or you, maybe, maybe you never used to worry, and now you can't turn it off. Or maybe there were times when you were really growing, and there's lots of good soil in your life for growing your faith, and you were really leaning into this surrender thing. So I want you to understand that, that uh, one soil type doesn't describe you forever and in every area of your life. So Jesus talks about this phenomenon in this very frustrating parable. And we talked about what makes it frustrating in our introduction a couple weeks ago. So we're going to jump back into this parable right now. We're in Matthew chapter 13, the Gospel of Matthew uh, chapter 13, first book in the New Testament. If you're using your Bible app, you'll find the scripture right there for you. But I'm reading from the New Living Translation this morning, Matthew 13, verse 1. It says, later that day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. Sounds nice. A large crowd soon gathered around him. Don't you hate that? So he got into a boat. And then he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. So by this time, hundreds of people, sometimes in some cases, even thousands of people were following Jesus around and watching him perform uh, miracles and listening to him speak. And they didn't have, uh, of course, any kind of sound system or amplification or microphones and speakers and all that. So they would use the water and they'd use the surrounding shoreline as like a natural amphitheater, just using the natural acoustics of those surroundings to help project his voice to the listeners. This is actually a very common practice among rabbis. Verse 3. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. So if you read the Gospels, or you just read even the rest of the book of Matthew, you'll read some of these parables. And he taught this way all the time, and we don't even have a record of all the parables that Jesus taught. So Matthew's saying, this is one of the stories that he told. Words of Jesus. Listen. A farmer went out to plant some seeds. So the farmer, let's just be clear here, represents God. And the seed represents the word of God, truth, at work in our lives. Verse 4. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. So that's where we're going to be today. We'll come back to this in a few minutes. But just think about this for a second. Why would the farmer even plant seed on the driveway? I mean, think about it. Why do you plant seed on a well-worn footpath? Why would he be careless with this seed? Why would he do this? And I think it's a great question. And if while we're looking at at this over these next few minutes, you come to the realization that, oh, wow, that rocky soil, that hard footpath, that hard heart thing, that's me. 
that's where I am right now. That's where I am in general. That's where I am in this specific area of my life, whatever. And that might come as a surprise to you. You know, for some of you, it won't be that big of a surprise because you know that about yourself. But if you identify with this, please understand and know that God is generous and God is good and God is gracious. And even though he knew that the soil was hard and rocky, he still planted the seed right there. He's all, he still planted the seed in your life, even when we're not in a place to receive it. Because that's what God is like. And where you and I would say, well, be sure to plant the seed only in the good soil. Now, over here. And don't spill any over here because that's never going to grow. It's just not worth it. Let's do it over here where we have return on investment. You know, we need to be careful with that. We need to use that sparingly. So only the good soil gets the seed. God's like, I'm just going to plant it everywhere. I'm just going to, I'm going to plant it on the path. I'm going to plant, sow it the seed on the rocks. I'm going to plant it here where the weeds could grow up. I'm just going to sow it everywhere. And he's planted the seed of truth in your life and in mine. And the fact that you're here and the fact that you've been on this journey, and, you know, maybe for a while, or the fact that you're here and you're curious is not an accident because God's generous this way. Verse 5. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. And the seed sprouted, sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. That's what happens when you have a hard heart. He went on to describe a condition we'll look at next time, verse 7. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. And then he says, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. We could stop there. But we didn't a couple of weeks ago in the introduction to the series. If you were with us, you know that the reason we didn't stop there is because the next part of the story actually gets a little more complicated and a little more illuminating at the same time. And Jesus' disciples come up and they start asking him questions. They ask the questions that we're thinking. They're like, Jesus, that was great. Great, great talk there today. It was really, you really had them there. Kind of cryptic. Don't really know what you're talking about. Um, how would we, you say if, to listen and understand, but like we're trying but like, how do we understand this? What are you talking about? What are you trying to say? What's the point? Verse 10. His disciples came and asked him, why do you use parables when you talk to the people? <laughs> Jump down to verse 18. Jesus speaking. Listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. And the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. And the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. Verse 23. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. So let's come at this like the disciples did. What does this mean for us today? We started off in this series saying that teachability, over time, produces spiritual growth. Jesus said there's one quality, one characteristic that makes a huge difference in your life and in your pursuit of spiritual growth, and it's teachability. The people who are closest to Jesus weren't necessarily the smartest people. Aren't you glad? There's hope for us. They weren't the most biblically literate people. They weren't the most religious people. 
but they were people who asked questions. They were people who were teachable. And Jesus says, I can work with that. There were lots of people who knew more about the scripture that had been written up to that time than Jesus' closest followers, but they weren't open. They weren't teachable. You might say they were hard-hearted. So what are the signs of a hard heart? Some of you, uh, some of you own this. You know, you're like, I know my heart is hard. I know. I'm here against my will today. <laughs> I'm here because I'm supposed to be here. I'm here to save face. You know, it's especially hard when you want to talk about certain things because I'm not open to that. And for some of you, this isn't going to come as a surprise because you just, you just, uh, you, you, you understand. You, you're in touch. You're self-aware enough to know that this is true of you. Oh, for some of you, you're going to be shocked to find out, oh, that's my deal. That's what's going on. I'm not open to this truth in my life. Maybe you haven't been very honest with yourself. So I hope we can be honest with ourselves for these next few minutes. I want to talk about signs of a hard heart. Number one, number one sign of a hard heart is that you don't really feel the highs or the lows of life. You were designed by God to experience the highs and the lows of life. And I know none of us wants to be that person who's a roller coaster emotionally, you know. You don't want to be one of those people. But if you don't feel the highs anymore, and you don't feel the lows anymore, it's a sign that your heart is growing hard. Sign number two is that you're indifferent, indifferent specifically to God and to people. You're just indifferent. You don't hate people. You don't really love them either. You're just indifferent. You stopped caring about God. You stopped caring about people. Maybe you once had meaningful friendships. Now you don't have as many meaningful uh, friendships, but you don't really care. It doesn't matter to you because you've become indifferent. And I would argue that the ultimate insult in a relationship isn't hatred. It's indifference. I mean, think about that. Usually when we stop caring, it's coming from a place of a hard heart. Third sign of a hard heart is what is supposed to be meaningful has become mechanical. What's supposed to be meaningful has become mechanical. In other words, if you were to be honest, you kind of feel like half a robot half most days. You go through life, you're not really looking forward to all the things that other people are looking forward to, things like, you know, like holidays with family or life events like graduations and weddings, and you're like, I know it's supposed to be meaningful, and other people get all excited about this, and they get all moved and whatever. It just feels mechanical to me. It feels robotic. It feels like I'm going through the motions. And work is just a job, and your neighbors are just people who live close to you, and you, got, you go to church because you're trying to save face, and you've got an image to protect, and everybody else seems to be having a good time, and they, but, and they seem to have some sense of purpose, but you don't. Sign number four is that passion it's hard to come by. It's not just that you can't find passion for a certain thing. You can't find passion for anything. You're not passionate about your family the way you used to be. You see people get emotional in a church service and that doesn't register with you. You hear people tell stories about something they read in the Bible that moved them and you haven't experienced that in a really long time. And you're not as passionate about your faith as you used to be. I mean, it's normal. It's normal human experience to admit, yeah, I'm a little less passionate about this or about that than I used to be. Um, but, but I'm talking about that whole idea of the passion's just gone. You just don't feel that anymore. Fifth sign of a hard heart is that you assume the worst, not the best, about people. You just start to fill in all the gaps with suspicion, not with trust. A new co- bless you. New coworkers show up. Someone moves in next door, your kid's new teacher or new coach, people show up at church that you don't know, and you become cynical 
and you've become jaded and you just assume the worst. Those are some signs. It's not an exhaustive list, but some signs of a hard heart. So how does a heart, how does a hard heart become a hard heart? How does it happen? Sometimes it happens when a heart gets broken. For some people, that happens early in life. Maybe, you know, your story is you had a father who ran around and eventually ran away. Maybe you had a mom who drank too much. Maybe your parents were always fighting. Maybe you could never do enough to please them. And here you are, a grown adult, still trying to please unpleasable people. And now your heart's just hard. In your career, oh my gosh, it hasn't taken you where you thought it would take you by now. It's just work. It's just a paycheck. It's just punching the clock. It's just a huge disappointment. It's like your heart has been broken one too many times. Oh, and you can be a victim if you choose. You can stay there if you want and be like, you should hear my sad story. Because if you, oh, actually, you can read it because I post it all over Facebook for the world to read. So you should hear about how bad things are, you know, for me and how bad they were growing up. And you should hear about my job and my boss and the people I have to work with and my ex-wife and my ex-husband. And you should really know my situation. If you had to deal with half of what I've had to deal with, your heart would be hard too. I get that. But you know what's true about a hard heart? Here's why this matters. Because a hard heart creates an even harder future. That's why this matters. If you let your heart grow hard, your future grows even harder. If you don't take time and put in the work to heal your hard heart, if you don't honestly address this, this will be the rest of your life. And if you, just, if you think, yeah, I just put my time in and my heart, my heart will soften. Nope. And if you just let your heart continue to harden, you'll eventually come to believe that your hard heart is normal, that this is just the way people are. That's just the way every marriage is. That's just the way every teenager is. That's just the way every job is. That's just the way every church is. You know that your attitude is a choice. You know that, right? The implication of that choice is that a hard heart creates an even harder future. And if you want to live that way, if you want to live in a way where everything's kind of numb, and maybe it's numb because you found things to numb the pain, I mean, that's usually why people develop addictions, to numb and to escape because they don't want to face the future. They can't even face the present and they don't want to deal with the past. Look what Jesus does here because I want to talk about, um, you know, how do we get here? How did we get stuck? How do we get out of it? How do we move on from here? And if you're stumped as to why your relationship with God isn't growing, the solution's fairly simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. And if you've got a hard heart, God may be speaking to you, but you aren't letting him in. So let's just kind of uh, do a little self-examination to make sure we're ready for a little bit of truth to get in here. So Jesus' disciples are looking at this, and they're they're thinking, well, you know, I don't want to be that person. If that's what this means, I don't want to be that person. So they were open. They were teachable. So after Jesus told the first story, they come up to him and they ask him this in verse 10. Why do you use parables when you talk to the people? In verse 11, he replied, you're permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. And we talked about that in part one a couple weeks ago, so we'll not get into that today. But verse 12, to those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. In other words, to those who are open, to those of us who are listening, to those who are willing, to those who are teachable, See, this is what happens with a hard heart. You stop being open. You stop listening. You're no longer willing 
and you aren't teachable. So to those who, he says, who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. They'll have an abundance of knowledge. And he keeps going. But for those who are not listening, so for those who are cynical, for those who are jaded, for those who don't trust me anymore, he says, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. It's going to grow for a season, but then it's going to stop growing because your heart is hard. Jesus says this, verse 13. That's why I use these parables. Now he's quoting from the Old Testament. For they look, but they don't really see. And they hear, but they don't really listen or understand. And this understanding has an element of willingness to it. So it's not just raw intelligence. And Jesus says, verse 14, This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, When you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, their ears cannot hear, they have closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. God has a desire for you. And he says, would you just bring it to me? And we're like, no, because this is kind of like nobody's business. This is, nobody sees this part of me. Nope. So how does a heart harden? How does it happen? This is, so, this is so dangerous, and I think it's something we need to be really aware of. Here's the danger point. That what begins as an unwillingness to trust becomes an inability to trust. What starts as an unwillingness becomes an inability. I don't want people in my life anymore. I don't want those kinds of friends. I don't want to do that hard work to have healthy relationships. I don't want commitment and accountability. I don't want community. And what starts as unwillingness becomes inability. You eventually get to the point at first where you were unwilling. Now you're unable. Now I can't have healthy relationships anymore. I can't be open with people anymore. I can't trust anymore. And for some of you, I know this is painful because you can't remember a time when you were open and willing and trusting. You go all the way back to childhood and you can't remember a time when you were open and you were willing and you were trusting because something happened and someone violated a trust and someone rejected you and someone abandoned you. And I'm telling you, if you don't spend some time with some people who are equipped to help you address this, I guarantee you that you will experience what it is to have a hard heart. The good news is it's not too late because it's never too late. But if you don't address your unwillingness, it becomes an inability to trust. For example, there are lots of, uh, I'm going to say like eight-year-olds, maybe some 14-year-olds, 18-year-olds, I don't know if you're one of those parents who tells your kids they can be anything they want to be, because by the way, that's not helpful, because it's not true, because if your 13-year-old is six foot three, and his dream has always been to be a jockey, (laughs) probably not going to happen. So if your 17-year-old has dreamt of being a doctor since she was four, but she hasn't bothered to apply herself academically, and she doesn't have the transcript to get into college, let alone med school, it's not helpful to keep telling her she can be anything she wants to be. Um, We saw this last Sunday in the softball field at our annual church softball game, which I'm sure you saw on ESPN, because some of us on the field grew up with dreams of becoming professional athletes. I grew up in, I know it's funny now, right? I grew up in Canada, and I was just like every one of my friends. When we were out in the pond playing hockey, and we were playing street hockey, and we were at the rink, all of us dreamed of playing in the NHL. I mean, that was everybody's dream. Here's a surprise. (laughs) 
None of us ever played in the NHL. None of us pursued that dream. Some of my friends went to hockey camps because they were serious when they were 13. Some of them played hockey well into adulthood. But we're all in our 40s now, and the kind of effort that at one point we were unwilling to put in, now we are unable to put in. So the same is true with the heart. What begins with an unwillingness, I won't believe that. I won't believe again. I won't trust that person. I won't trust again. I won't open up again. I won't hope again. Eventually becomes an inability. That's why there's a shift. It's subtle, but it's in the, if you saw it, in the language of Jesus, the language he uses, he starts by saying, are you willing to pay attention? Are you willing to listen? Are you open? And that eventually becomes He says, but these people's hearts have become hardened and they can't listen and they can't hear and they can't see and they can't understand. If that's where you find yourself, if you found that even when you try, you try less than you used to, if you suspect that your heart has become hardened, what do you do? What do you do? Here's the application. You need to start with a decision. If you've identified, okay, in this particular area of my life, I definitely have a hard heart because I am not open. I don't believe. I don't trust. uh, And I, I, I don't want to. And I haven't wanted to for so long that I don't even think I can anymore. If you identify with that, number one, start with a decision. Here it is. Maybe you've become so indifferent that you can't remember a time when you made a decision that mattered. Maybe you've been checked out for that long. I don't know and you're so confused, and you don't know why you can't have healthy relationships, and you don't know why you don't succeed at work or at school, you don't know why you haven't been able to grow as a person, to grow spiritually, you don't know why you don't seem to connect emotionally when people all around you are engaged emotionally, and now, you know, maybe you have a better idea of what's going on, now we have a decision to make. Simply decide that you will trust again. I said simple, not easy. Decide that you will trust again. And some of you, even mentioning that terrifies you. You're like, well, if I did trust, I, you know, I did trust once. I trusted my parents, and I trusted my ex-husband, and I trusted my boss, and I trusted my kids, and I trusted my friend, and that didn't turn out very well. You can choose to live there. That's your choice. But be prepared, because you will become cynical, and you will become jaded, and you will become angry, and you will live with a chip on your shoulder, and you'll stop hoping. Or you can decide that you will trust again. You can decide to believe again. You can decide to open up again. You can decide to hope again. Look at this promise of Jesus in verse 16. He said, But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they long to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. So the question this morning is, how is your heart? And you're like, yeah, it's a little hard. Just a little, harder than it used to be about some things. Or maybe you're like, it's been so long, I don't even know what it is to have an open heart. Just remember what's at stake in this moment. Because you might walk away from here in a few minutes after we sing a few songs and go, okay, I'm still unwilling because you're like, dude, you don't know my story. You don't know how bad I've had it. You don't have any idea how hard life is. You don't know anything. No, I don't know. But God knows. He knows. 
And you might have a thousand excuses, but remember, your unwillingness will eventually become an inability. And if, I wouldn't want to go there. Because right now, if you're willing, you're still able. I love these words of Jesus in verse 15. The hearts of these people are hardened. Their ears cannot hear. They've closed their eyes so they cannot see. And their ears cannot hear. And their hearts cannot understand. Don't miss this. And they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. That's what's at stake. God's saying that I specialize in taking people's hearts and healing them. Who doesn't need a little healing? And you might be thinking, but how? I mean, how, how, how can I ever trust again? You've heard my story. Now you know. How can I trust again? How can I be open again? How can I hope again? You need to understand that God will not disappoint you like the people who have disappointed you. And maybe the first step for you is to acknowledge that, God, I don't know if I can trust people. That's a separate conversation. But I've decided I'm going to trust you. Well, what is trust? Well, it starts with openness. So maybe you're not ready to open up to people, but you would at least open your heart to God. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. Because this is simple to say and it's difficult to do if your heart is hardened because you've got a thousand reasons why you're the way you are, a thousand reasons why you're cynical, why you're jaded, whatever. And some of you, it's been so long you've forgotten why. You know, it's just a distant memory. A couple questions. Do you want your unwillingness to become inability? I mean, I tell you, you, you can trust again. Your heart can be open and your heart can heal. You're like, I don't know what to do to heal my heart. That's not your responsibility. God will heal your heart if we trust him. The first step maybe is just to say this, and this is all, if this is all you do with this this week, I think that's fine. It's a good place to start. And maybe, maybe we could even say this out loud if you're comfortable with that and wrap up this message. Say this with me if you would post this, put the next thing up, I think. Yeah, let's say this together if you're comfortable with it. I will trust again. I will believe again, I will open up again, and I will hope again. Maybe for some of you this week, that's all you need to do, is just say those words, let that be your prayer. And if you don't think you know how to pray, because you haven't got all the fancy language all framed around it, maybe you've never been comfortable praying, maybe this week, this is your whole prayer. God, I don't know how. but it's clear to me that there's some areas where it's, my heart's been hardened. So I will trust again, and I will believe again, and I will open up again, and I will hope again. And I believe when we communicate that to God, and that's our desire, if you do that, something amazing happens to your heart. It begins to soften. And somehow your relationships have the potential to be better. And somehow your outlook and your attitude begins to change. And somehow you aren't quite as cynical. You aren't quite as jaded. And somewhere down the road, maybe not right away, but somewhere down the road, you're going to start to hope again. And you're going to experience passion again. And that sense of feeling passion for someone or something or some cause will return. And if you start to believe again and you start to trust again because your heart is open, 
And for some of you, maybe this is your prayer this week, and you just say, you just say this to God, God, I realize where I'm at. I realize my heart has become hardened. I'm going to trust again. I'm going to believe again. I'm going to open up again. I'm going to hope again, because I don't want my unwillingness to become an inability. When we come to him with that spirit, I'm convinced God's desire is to heal our hearts. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the people in this room who maybe for the first time in a long time just cracked the door open a little bit. They saw a sliver of light. We're thankful this morning that regardless of how we've been treated in the past by people, that you are good, you love us, you came to save us, you came to heal us. We want to be healed because we want to be healthy, we want to be whole. So Heavenly Father, begin a healing process in us. Especially where our hearts have begun to grow hard. Give us the courage to pray this prayer for ourselves. To say these words and to trust you completely. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen to this. Sometimes what you need is what you fight Like a wounded man out on the run Like shadows hiding from the light But your love is what I was running from Hope's a seed you have to sow Just say